the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. And we are back to time 609. I've got two lines open if you want to join the conversation. Uh, make a contribution. one 367 one We are trying to negotiate, trying to engage, trying to talk about how important it is for a believer, a professing Christian to be able to be consistent in what he says he is or she is and what the Bible says they are in terms of being a witness, an ambassador, a representative for Jesus Christ. And we're getting at the issue of couching language in politically correct terms that may amount to nothing more than a kind of compromise, as Paul put it in the book of Galatians, from the kind of persecution that comes with preaching the cross. He said it to the Galatians. He says, if I be a doer of the law, then where is my persecution coming from? If I put the cross down, then I won't be persecuted. If I put Jesus down as the exclusive soul and solitary way to God, then I won't be persecuted. If I put down biblical norms that are very clear in terms of their moral and ethical boundaries as absolutes, I won't be persecuted. If I basically gut Christianity, use the term, the phrase in the language, but fill it with a lot of soft, fluffy terminology that basically is ambiguous and uh, conspicuously uh, uh, unclear at best, then I won't be persecuted. But if we do that, ladies and gentlemen, we are no different than what Isaiah plainly laid out in the book of Isaiah in a very uh, sort of metaphorical way when he talked about the evil days being such like women in Isaiah chapter three that basically lay a chapter four, rather, that lay a hold of one man. Listen to this. I was meditating on this a while ago, and I'll pull it up. In that day, there shall be seven women that shall take hold of one man saying we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Now you see what those women said. We want to appear to be married to you appear to be married to you. We want to appear to be in covenant with you, but we don't want you to give us our bread that is our daily portion by which our souls are fed. And we don't want you to give us our, your, our, our clothes. That is the covering of Christ's righteousness by which you identify with him in the union of his godhood and manhood as the true mediator between God and man. In other words, Isaiah is describing in Isaiah 4.1 the false church that has a name that's associated with Jesus but it actually operates out of its own system, providing for itself, dressing itself, and yet denying a dependence upon and subordination to the head, which is Christ, over his body, which is the church. And that's the world you and I live in today. 
It was Mark that was describing many churches with rainbows. No, it was Luis describing many churches with rainbow signs up over them. That's Isaiah 4.1. It's Isaiah 4.1. We eat our own bread. We do not hold to the word of God as our food. We do not hold that hold to Jesus as the bread of life. We wear our own garments. We do not wear Christ's righteousness as our standing, as our identity, as our covering. We wear our own garments. You see what I'm saying? Let me go to line number three and talk with Nelson and San Mateo. Nelson, are you there? Yes. Um, how are you doing, sir? I'm great. What's your common observation on our topic tonight? Uh, well, first of all, I got I did get banned from a Reformed Baptist website, a just Facebook page. I want you to know. Does that have anything <laughs> to do with our topic? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, I would say, um, but, yeah, I, I was just standing up because I didn't think the the, the Jews deserved to be killed like the, um, the people on their Facebook page. So I got kicked off. But so I really don't care what they think about homosexuality, really. But anyways. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, uh, uh, you want to make a correlation between people opposing homosexuality, uh, but somehow adopting a notion that the Jews were not uh, holocaustically slaughtered by the maniacal uh, Hitler and his henchmen? Now you're adding so much to what I said. I said those particular people who make these anti-Semitic remarks. Right. Um, of course, I'm the bad guy for saying 6 million people. The exact quote this guy said, maybe, maybe the Holocaust happened because of the things the Jews did or were wrong. I know, called me crazy. So I called him a jerk. So I got kicked off, and I said, why, why didn't you say something to this guy? And they said, um, anybody can say anything about the Jews, etc." And so... Who cares what evangelicals think? They're following this racist president. They, 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 they're following this white nationalism that has resorted to terrorism. And, and we're going to argue about particular languages people use. So the whole law goes together, you know. You know, I'm just I'm just saying, you know, no, I'm hearing you, but I'm also hearing you conflating categories unnecessarily. You are overlapping and generalizing in the area of Christendom when you are speaking accurately about the hypocrisy of the uh, what you and I would recognize are, are tenets of a kind of Aryan uh, uh, neo, uh, you know, uh, Kluxman mentality that would basically um, throw the Jews under the bus and yet at the same time raise ire with what is going on presently and contemporarily with the homosexual community and get professed to be Christians. I would agree with you that you should call them to the carpet. I don't you know, I don't know how well. Uh, how 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 beneficial or or efficient uh, you know pejoratives are like we told Sheila you're not getting anywhere calling somebody a punk that kind of terminology doesn't doesn't advance the will of God res- uh, relative to sound doctrine and sound speech um, but if 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 that group was indicating that they could or could not take the actual facts about the Holocaust uh, as if they you know if it doesn't matter whether or not there was 
five million or six million Jews killed. Well, basically, they're playing hard and fast with with historical facts in order to frame an argument for their underlying prejudice against against everybody, but probably that particular Aryan group. And and at that point, what you are doing is basically trying to poke a hole in that balloon. I get that. What we're talking about. correlate to that but not quite is where do you do you understand the wrong of the lgbtq plus community and their advocacy and their hostility and their their uh, uh assertive aggressive approach towards a biblical worldview nelson do you see do you see the importance of being as uh viscerally uh uh, uh concerned about and and ready to deal with and address that community as uh graciously and wisely and yet as firmly as you would the Aryan groups that are buying into a kind of Donald Trump white uh supremacist culture? Yeah, but the, the homosexuals not going into black churches and South Carolina shooting people. They're not going to Poway synagogues and killing people. They're not going into Pittsburgh synagogues and shooting people. I mean, yeah, I do see a difference. Um, there was homosexuality in the Roman culture, and Paul says, such were some of you, but now you're washed. People can be saved out of this. Even, so even, even though, military- even, this is true with the white, with the right supremacists too. Also, so I, I get what you're saying, but I don't, I, I, I see you taking an antidote. I'm not painting, I do not see all these guys as coming from the same group that, uh, that, you know, we have a few killings that have occurred that are explicitly connected to these knuckleheads. A few. Um, uh, but, but you can't tell me that the LGBT community has not made, significant inroads in all of the strategic places that need to also have the light of the gospel cast upon it. Our educational system, our school systems, our children, uh, uh, our colleges, our workplaces. You can't tell me that those are not viable areas of, uh, of, of gospel battles as well. You can't tell me that. No, no, I agree. I, right, you, right. you came on before. I said, I wish more people had, are, are listening to you, and you said there are a lot of people. No, I agree everything you say, but, you know, I'm just— um, now, so here's what here. So I know at some point we're going to be actually dealing with this particular element that you happen to be um, uh, fired up about. I, I know that I, I see them uh, working in tandem. I'm looking at a book right now in front of my face. This is so fascinating. I'm looking at a book that's dealing with the uh, the emergence of the homosexual and transgender culture in Germany at the time of Hitler, where an individual was uh, hallmarked as the father of such as changed the whole binary uh, terminology from male to female or man and woman to uh, man or woman to man and woman and began to develop the spectrum. I'm reading the book as we talk, Nelson, how that at the same time that Hitler was right up that the homosexual community among the elites among the uh, uh, intellectuals were developing their battles and someone said along the lines uh, several years ago that there were many of them in the ranks along with uh, Hitler as well engaging in a war against humanity so there are some parallels uh, that might be uh, worthy of consideration here uh, at present because history has a tendency to repeat itself doesn't it yeah oh yeah and i know 
some bigoted homosexuals, but that, that's for sure. Like like Milo, Milo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so the point is, is that uh, whatever field of battle that we're engaging in, we want to actually be soundly Christian when we do it. And uh, and fair in our assessment uh, with regards to the categories in those particular uh, fields of battle that we're engaging in. So as not to um, not to come off as if we are being uh, prejudiced, more prejudiced against one than the other. It is equally a battle um, for uh, biblical truth, for uh, biblical morality and more uh, and ethics and uh, and equality of humanity on the grounds of biblical terminology. I really I really do believe that that's the case so keep fighting a good fight and make sure that you you know you keep your eyes on christ thanks for the call my brother i gotta take a break you guys got two lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine two lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine we'll continue discussion discussion when i come back and now back to Lifeline. We are back at the time, 625. One line open, one 329 if you want to join in the conversation. Are your feet on the ground? Is your head in the word of God? Is your heart right with the true and the living God? When it comes to being able to stand for the gospel and claim the gospel very clearly and succinctly without collapsing into politically correct, emotionally charged terminology that people often use to think that it will win people over to their side or at least to their person. When in fact, if we are simply objectively setting forth in a very calm, civil way, what biblical truth has to say about our lifestyles, our patterns, our conduct, people will still be upset. Because it's at the level of volition, it's at the level of the will, it's at the level of a person's predilections and bent that they want affirmation. So where you and I don't affirm them in what they want, no matter how, how careful you put it, when they finally detect that you have no allegiance with the pattern of lifestyle or worldviews they embrace, you're going to view you as an adversary and consider you an enemy. Let me go to line one and talk with Benjamin and Hayward. Line one, Benjamin and Hayward. Benjamin, are you there? Yes. Yes. What's your question, comment, or observation, sir? Well, I got an observation, uh, Pastor. Um, I got an observation as far as, uh, and uh, maybe you can uh, see if you agree with me or that. Uh, uh, the observation was like, uh, in this uh, society right now, I see that I was kind of focusing where, like, why do people turn like to the LGB community? You know, I mean, I I, I noticed that a lot of young people turn to that right. uh, since, <laughs> since the beginning, and and I, the observation that I noticed is that uh, the observation that I noticed is that some of that motive uh, I'm not saying all the motive, but some of that motive is because of the lack of love, toxic families, uh, 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 um, uh, and another uh, uh, observation that I did is. Uh, 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 I know you were talking to the other gentleman there, and then the, you mentioned something where you said that God doesn't say that he loves everyone, right? Right. Right. So another thing, too, is that uh, sometimes uh, we can approach the wrong way to uh, this community, you know, where, where, because you mentioned, don't, you mentioned that you said, don't get angry, don't get impatient, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, when when uh, when I, when when a member of the LGBT community sees that where you're getting angry or you're you're being impatient or you want to change him, that's where they turn around and be like, "You see how he acts? That's not a Christian way to act." So, 
so, so, so some of these things could be the lack of knowledge of the gospel that we have, you know, that we're not approaching this uh, uh, community the right way, you know, because God says love changes, right? You know, I don't, so, I don't, I don't know if God says love changes. Where does that say? Where does it say that in the Bible, uh, Benjamin? No, my understanding is that is that is that when you come with love, it, it, instead of attacking. Okay, tell it, me what. To, th- let's let's start back at a fundamental premise because I I understand where you're coming from, but I want to find out if if you are really a grounded Christian. I really need to do that now because we're talking to a lot of Christians out there, and I'm going to get a lot of calls if you are not very clear on your terminology. So the first thing I'm going to ask you, Benjamin, is if you are a Bible-believing Christian, what does the Bible teach that love is? Please explain that to me as best as you understand it. Well, I'm going to say like, I'm going to say like this, love, what, what, what the Bible explains as far as love is when you love somebody that how can I put it? What love, what explains love is that you love somebody's well-being, correct? You, 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 you love somebody's well-being as far as how the gospel says true love is. Because when I read the Bible, right, I, I, I know true love because the way God, the way that God speaks in the Bible. I, I I see how his true love is compared to our love. Well, well, quote a Bible verse since you say you you do. I'm trying to I'm trying to see if whether or not you are. Here's my concern, Benjamin, and I definitely appreciate okay. your call. And we're going to work with this. My no concern problem. is that you may or may not have a biblical concept of God's love. You may be reading into your Bible something that is not there. That's why I'm asking you, because I could quote to you a ton of verses around the love of God. But I'm trying to see whether or not you have framed it from your own understanding through your study of God's word or somebody teaching you what love is fundamentally from a biblical standpoint, because the world would claim that the Bible that you have is a hate book. The very groups okay. that are opposing Drew Brees, the very uh, anti, the very uh, LGBT community, pro community websites that are condemning Bru- uh, Drew Brees for simply encouraging kids to bring their Bibles to school are calling him a hate monger because of his Bible. Now, Drew Brees didn't say anything unkind. He didn't act. If you were to go, uh, Benjamin, and look up Drew Brees's. Um, his his encouragement to tell little, uh, young people to bring their Bibles to, to school and his response to the LGBT community. He didn't say anything that would uh, that would be uh, considered unloving or unkind. And yet that community is still condemning him as a hate monger. And, and so you and I have to talk about how do we define love in terms of its attributes and how do we define love in terms of its characteristics? Because I would say that the secular world system that you and I live in define love contrary to, the, to that which the Bible would. For instance, when the Bible says that greater love hath no man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friend. That love is describing a love that is sacrificially giving relative to a very important need towards the object of its giving. That is to say, love gives to someone in order that that someone might have the highest need met in their life. That would mean if I 
love a dope fiend, a dope addict, Benjamin. I am going to let that dope addict know that the best thing I can do for them is point them in a direction where they can be helped with their drug abuse. If I love an alcoholic, I'm going to share with that alcoholic and tell that alcoholic and maybe even assist that alcoholic in getting into Alcoholics Anonymous and into groups that will help them recover from their alcohol. I'm not going to just simply say, I love you. I feel for you because they may take all that and say, you do. Do you have five dollars so I can go get a fix? And at that point, I'm not loving them biblically. Did Jesus love people by going around saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Do you have anywhere in your Bible, Benjamin, where Jesus even used that terminology and phraseology in a one to one relationship with people? Well, you don't because you can't. And yeah. this, this is what I'm getting at. This is what I'm getting at with my religious uh, generation where we have taken biblical concepts and have allowed the world to force psychological and emotional interpretations and definitions upon those words and forced us to behave in ways that don't get at the real issue. As one of our callers had stated in the book of Leviticus, if you see your brother committing a sin or a trespass going up and down the, the, the street and you know about it and you don't go to him and tell him, hey, my brother, my sister, what you're doing is not right. You do not love him. You actually literally hate him. That's what the Bible teaches. And this is why Christians historically, Benjamin, have been persecuted. So I'm going to I'm going to let you wrestle with that. And I'm going to encourage you to get out of concordance and a lexicon and get under good sound teaching and work through the definition of love and get back with me. But what I am going to affirm you on, I'm going to affirm you in this. That is probably true that at many levels, we have not done as good a job as we could in engaging the broken community in a way that would open them up to um, biblical conversations around solutions. I would affirm you in that. I would affirm you that a lot of our families are toxic. A lot of our relationships are um, are um, they are distorted that many of us as Christians are not as rooted and grounded in biblical truth as we ought to be, that we are weak spiritually and don't have the ability to engage people that are different than us. I, I would fully agree with you that um, the heterosexual community uh, that, that identifies as heterosexual uh, and, and Christian uh, could do a better job at being heterosexuals first and then engaging those who are identifying outside and other in a way to help them to see that the path that they're going down is not an appropriate path that would lead to light life. I would agree with you on that. I'm going to give you the last observation. Yeah, well, I agree with you too, Pastor. I mean, if you're telling me that that disciplined me, that wasn't showing love. That's love, right? You know, right. That's right. Yeah, so I, I do agree. I understand. I, I, maybe I didn't explain as far as what I meant by love, but I do agree uh, uh, as uh, uh, a disciplined love. And I do. Ag- I agree with you too, as to that sometimes 
uh, I think sometimes we're hiding when we don't have a gracious way of dealing with people that are broken. We're hiding behind our own fears and, and, and lashing out and being unkind because we're broken, too. I think sometimes that's the way we are, like the, you know, the first lady that called calling uh, Drew Brees a, a punk. I, I think when we're talking like that and we're being um, uh, extremely aggressive and, and, and uncharitable, uh, there are the Bible does talk about characteristics of love. First Corinthians 13 and other places, kind, gentle, uh, long suffering, bearing many things. I think that is really what you're getting at in terms of characteristics that a believer should demonstrate that you care about people. And when people sense that you care about them, they might still open up to you. Right, right. I agree. Right, I agree. Yes. Bless you, my brother. Bless you. Thank you for the call. I got to take a break. When I come back, got two lines open. We will continue this conversation on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. Let's see here. Let me uh, get our screen up. Let's go to line number uh, four and talk with Brandon and Brentwood. Brandon, are you there? (laughs) Brandon and Brentwood, are you there? Yes, I am. Good. What's your question, comment, or observation, sir? My question is, uh, you know, I've been looking lately into, uh, you know, how Paul talks about in Galatians 1 about, you know, if anybody preaches you another gospel, let them be condemned. So it's, you know, very serious on changing you the gospel. Paul gives a deep explanation, Romans 1 through 3. And so I was wondering, um, when I have friends, as I've heard the previous calls talk about, when they present the gospel, usually in like the Word of Faith movement, mm-hmm. do they believe? Are they all preaching the same gospel as like Orthodox Christianity is, or are they preaching a different gospel? Well, <clears throat> the way you frame that question would probably create a lot of um, uh, subsequent questions, Brandon. Because if you use the term Orthodox Christianity. If we use that in a hard wooden way, um, Orthodox Christianity goes all the way back to the uh, Greek Orthodox Church at the split between the Western Church and the Eastern Church, the Roman Catholic Church. That was a major battle in what was called the Great Divide a thousand years after Christ. And so Orthodox churches uh, hold a vastly different a biblical worldview than would be Protestant churches that came up out of the Reformation, i.e. John Wycliffe, uh, John Huss, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Melanchthon, Knox, and all these guys, uh, which were the kind of um, forerunners to what you and I are uh, inheritors of, and that is the evangelical church. So the evangelical church is what presently uh, speaks both in the Western culture here in America and, and part of Europe as well in terms of our our, our, our common denominations being uh, Baptist and Presbyterian and Methodist, et cetera, et cetera. The evangelical component of it is, uh, is, is the fact that throughout Protestant history from the 15th century, 16th century up to now, we have really tried to do two things, get back to the Bible, one, so that we um, overcame uh, the, uh, the liturgical uh, and author- uh, authorial rule 
rule of the church as a, an ecclesiastical power over the conscience of men and women. Uh, sola Scriptura is the principle, and Sola Scriptura identified us as Protestants relative to us believing that the Bible is the ultimate and final authority upon which every conscience has the right of private judgment to determine who God is and how he has revealed himself to us in the person of Christ within the framework of Protestant Christianity. Um, if you talk about orthodoxy, <clears throat> Brandon, you are talking about orthodoxy either from the standpoint of Protestant uh, historic theology or Catholic historic theology or Greek Orthodox historic theology. I'm assuming that you would really be talking from the standpoint of being basically a Protestant or someone who operates within the camp of either what has historically been called Calvinism uh, and Arminianism, right? Right. Calvinism. Okay, so all right, so theology. if you if you want to be a little bit more succinct, just for our audience, let's talk <clears throat> let's talk historic Calvinism and historic Arminianism. If you ask Pastor Jesse the question, so uh, where what what do I see in terms of the average person's uh, framing of biblical truth, particularly the gospel, relative to uh, historic Calvinism and historic Arminianism, which are the two polar opposites in terms of their, their their biblical worldview, if you know anything about the remonstrance in the church history relative to uh, the five points of Calvinism and the remonstrance, uh, the arguments against sola scriptura, against the doctrines of grace, against total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints, against a sovereignty of God's salvation position. If you understand the doctrines of grace, you do understand that Arminianism classic operates in the polar opposite of every fundamental point that holds that system together. Would you recognize that? I do. Okay, right. So if you're talking to a person in real time who, let's say he's, let's say he he goes to a a word of faith church, in all likelihood, he has absolutely no idea what the gospel really is. If he I'm talking to average, this would be true, uh, Brandon, as well with, I, I believe, uh, many Protestants today. A lot of folks who call themselves Christians are just not grounded in the fundamentals of the gospel. They just are not. And once you begin to peer into the question, what is the gospel? It almost ends up being uh, man centered me first. Right. And then cooperating with God from the standpoint of me having the capacity of a freedom of the will to accept God's offer of salvation. And then that uh, affects God's grace and constitutes the work of regeneration, which we would call classically in theology synergism, which would basically be Romanism. That is Catholicism and even Greek Orthodoxism. Right. You recognize that? I recognize that. Right. So if if. But see, with the average person you're talking to, you would have to work with them uh, and work through these nuances to even help them understand and recognize that they are proffering a view of salvation that doesn't correspond with the scriptures. And we would have to patently disagree with them as to asserting that that would be called the gospel. It is not the gospel for us to teach that salvation is partly what God does and partly what you do. That is a false gospel. It does not correspond with scripture and it does not glorify God. We would have to ultimately say that in a conversation with them. Right. 
That's what I was uh, saying, because usually when I run into a lot of these, uh, a lot of friends of mine, they usually come from Word of Faith churches. Pastors usually don't talk about sin, judgment, or the wrath of God, and usually say, you know, the message that, you know, God loves you, you know, give your life to Him. And I'm like, that's not the gospel that Paul presents, for example. So that's why I'm like, am I wasting my time trying to preach the gospel to people in these camps of Word of Faith, or is it, are we on the same team, so to speak? Uh, those are two different questions, and I'll answer them briefly. You're never wasting your time if it's God's assignment for you to do what Paul did and what Jesus did. Return right into the very synagogues of Satan and share the gospel with those who would hear, knowing that the gospel has a designation to land on the heart of God's elect and actually bring about regeneration. If it does not have the design of drawing God's elect, it has the design of bearing witness uh, in the conscience of those who have rebelled against an explicit and clear expression of the gospel so that on the last day they will not be able to say they did not hear a clear presentation of the gospel of the grace of God um, uh, proclaimed by God's servants. And so we do have to exhibit that love of doing what Paul did. Paul knew that not all Israel was of Israel were the true Israel, but yet he sought every opportunity to go into the synagogues and to, um, to, if you were a labor with them to convince them from the very scriptures they had that Jesus was the Christ. And of course he was a perfect example of being saved by sovereign grace over against his will for God crushed him and convinced him of the glories of Christ. And his heart was broken. Um, there was no synergism in that context. And you and I can recognize that. So he would go back to his brethren and tell them that Jesus is Lord and begin to explain how that the scriptures have decreed and determined and and predestined uh, our salvation in terms of the finished work of Christ. And some would believe, as your Bible says, and others would not. So I, I would not say that it is a futile thing to do it, although uh, where we are in our present culture, it is right. very hard work to convince an Arminian, a free willer, that his free will is a myth and that the freedom of his will really amounts to him simply affirming that he's a sinner because every time that we exercise our free will, it is always in rebellion against God. Adam did that. Everybody does it. The only, the only freedom we have apart from the grace of God is freedom to rebel against God, which affirms the fact that we need God. And so uh, misdefining free will has been a huge problem in, in the evangelical camp for a long time. This is why you have four pointers too today. The prominent ones are four pointers, folks who would affirm the sovereignty of God, would affirm uh, uh, unconditional election, but would not affirm limited atonement and then would get past limited atonement and affirm maybe perseverance of the saints and 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 things of that nature, but uh, it would all be predicated upon his freedom of will. And at that point, we understand that they have failed to recognize that God has to be a total savior or else he's not a savior at all. And, and that really, after explaining it, Brandon, has to be a work of the spirit of God opening their eyes. I see. So we can share it, but as Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.24, um, that we have to, the, the teacher has to be patient 
not striving, but patient, uh, warning men and teaching men. Peradventure, God would grant them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. Those who have been taken captive uh, by their own will um, towards Satan. Uh, God has to break the will, open the eyes, change the heart, and then men and women will see that they are sinners and they will quickly do what the Spirit of God did in the book of Acts when Peter was anointed by the Spirit of God and began to preach an exalted, risen, reigning Christ. They began to cry out, men and women, uh, uh, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? They were pricked at their hearts and only the Holy Ghost can prick a stony heart and cause it to bleed from the inside and cause a man and woman to bow before Jesus Christ as Lord. But we, we, we try to share the gospel with them in hopes that that would occur. So don't, 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 don't give up. <laughs> don't give up sharing the gospel. Remember, we were all lost and ignorant. And I love the way Spurgeon put it. I'll have to let you go after this. Spurgeon said, we're all Arminians until God makes us clearly men and women who bow the knee to the sovereignty of God in Christ. The other thing I would also say is I would hope that you would understand that the five points of Calvinism is not itself the gospel either. It's an explanation and framework around the gospel. The gospel is absolutely and exclusively the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we preach. We don't preach Calvin. We preach Christ. Uh, But it does help to understand historically how our reformers have framed a sovereign God as the sole cause of our salvation. God bless you. All right. Let me see here. Uh, I got time for maybe one more. Let me go to uh, China online. Number three. I'm taking China because I know China. China, are you there? Yes. Yeah, you coming in after you coming in at the last hour like the thief on the cross, and so this is what we're gonna do. Thank God he got to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And and that by the sovereign grace of God. Now watch this. Uh, Revelation Bible Ministry, which is our coveted and and joyful ministry of giving Bibles uh, as far and as wide as uh, our resources will allow to men and women that are incarcerated. Uh, A wonderful ministry. This program, you guys have heard it many times. For time's sake, this is what I want to say. If you want to be part of a wonderful, thrilling fellowship of brothers and sisters from all over, join us this Saturday at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We'll be there from 8 o'clock, 8.30 up to about 12 or 1 o'clock, just hammering out Bibles, special made with engraved personal names given to our beloved uh, friends who are incarcerated, hoping and trusting that the Word of God would be used as a means of drawing them or confirming them and comforting them in the glories of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing this Saturday. That's why Chana called to remind me we got it going on so we're going to be praying that if you're not doing anything that you would join us this saturday at grace bible church uh food and fellowship and uh a focus on getting the word of god out uh which is a wonderful privilege so thank you for letting me uh share that and we'll see you saturday young lady thank you bless you thank you very much god bless you too (laughs) all right you guys we're down to the end of the program sorry sarah sorry misty couldn't couldn't chat with you guys maybe next week the lord willing we come back together I will say this as we begin to to wrap it up. Salvations of the Lord from beginning to ending. Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus. And salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, apart from any kind of works. Remember, your works plus God's work won't work. God bless you.
Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 